1: Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
0: When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.
2: Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with 100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a Scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in
3: 3.21. All right, it's another film study, but we're going to do things a little different. You know, we're recording the offense and defense breakdowns this evening, but it's Wednesday, and you're... You guys are all traveling for Thanksgiving, you're going to be on the road, traffic's going to probably suck tonight, so I wanted to get you something before you're leaving the office today. So here's what I've got for you. I've got our Know the Foe episode as we look ahead to the 49ers game this Sunday. So Ken sat down this morning with Oscar Aparicio, who is from the Better Rivals podcast, which is a 49ers podcast, and also from NinersNation.com. So you can check his stuff out over there. But real simple, have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy time with your family. And here is Ken and Oscar looking forward to this game on Sunday.
4: here with Oscar Aparicio of Better Rivals and he's going to give us a breakdown on the 49ers very excited both for having Oscar on the show and a great game coming up on Sunday that uh, maybe doesn't mean as much to either team in terms of where they finish for the year both of them are in pretty good shape to get buys it might have something to do with the number one seed in either conference but more importantly great yardstick for measuring up an opponent Oscar thanks for joining us today it's my pleasure I'm happy to be on all right. Well, uh, you know, we've heard a lot about this game. How do you what's your take on it? Just your starting take in terms of its importance and what it means. Take well, a start.
5: I think I think overall the, the first thing that jumps to mind is the absolute irony of facing the Baltimore Ravens in a really big game and facing Greg Roman's. Effectively Colin Kaepernick offense. And if this is a Super Bowl preview, that ultimately twists the knife even a bit further. Um, Because I think you're right. When it comes to NFC seeding, this is the one game the Niners can probably lose in this three-game gauntlet between Green Bay, Baltimore, and New Orleans. But, man, it would really be good to get this notch on the belt. um, Because I think Baltimore is very, very good. They're coming in incredibly hot. And this is a, a team that is really resting its laurels on its defense. And, and we'll see if their defense is going to be able to withstand the test of Baltimore because it's going to be a pretty wicked test.
4: Yeah, it really is a a, a good two-way thing. The Ravens have, have had a good uh, way of getting ahead of opponents and taking them out of their normal game plan. Do, would you say that's a that's a possibility here, the way the Ravens have, you know, touchdown after touchdown on opening drives— getting ahead 14 nothing against a lot of teams. Now, obviously they haven't been playing the 49ers defense, uh, but the Rams presented a legitimate defensive challenge on Monday night. One that the Ravens really solved. Yeah. You know,
5: it, it is going to be possible for the Ravens to get the, the Niners out of their game script. And and really it's, it's funny because the Niners have been doing that all season themselves. They've been going up a score or two and now all of a sudden, all of a sudden teams have to throw and now they're going to be suspect to that great defensive line for the 49ers. And I mean, it happened last week for the 49ers where on the first, third down of the game, Aaron Rodgers drops back and all of a sudden it's a sack. It's a fumble and the Niners have the ball at the two yard line. So the Niners have really benefited from positive game script. The one game where they did not is really the game that gave them the most fits. And those are the two against the Arizona Cardinals. And so I think that while the Cardinals don't present the same types of challenges that the Ravens do, they are a bit more. Uh, aggressive in the way they'll call plays. And I think they targeted a couple key parts of the Niners defense that um, I wouldn't be surprised if if the Ravens tried to probe those areas as
4: well. All right. Uh, take us through some of the changes maybe you've seen in the 49ers as the season has progressed. What's, what's changed about the team?
5: Really, as the season's progressed, what's really changed has been how they've accounted for the injuries that have happened across the offensive line. And so when, when you think about Shanahan's offense, it really is a, an offense that's rooted in play action. It's rooted in a strong run game and it's rooted in, you know, really aggressive shots across the middle of the field. And, and so you've got a lot of in breaking routes, a lot of dig routes. You're going to get a lot of play action with some over routes over the top. And, and when you have an offensive line that can hold up in protection and allow the quarterback some time to do that, it's spot. but very early this season, you lost uh, you lost starting left tackle Joe Staley to injury, uh, and then you lost Mike McGlinchey, the starting right tackle. Now the the Niners have been rolling with backup tackles, and what that meant was that they sped up Jimmy Garoppolo's time to throw. His time to throw over the the middle weeks of the of the year, where they didn't have their offensive tackles, was down in like the 2.2, 2.3 range. I mean, it was it was consistently up at the top of the league. Now that's gotten a little bit longer. Mike McGlinchey's back. I don't think Joe Staley will be back for the game against the Ravens. He's got a, a fractured finger that he had surgery on. But his time to throw has been increasing a little bit. You see a little bit deeper developing routes. I think the introduction of Emmanuel Sanders helps that a, a little bit as well. And, and so Shanahan really does structure those shots into his offense and calls them at particular times. But the, the time to throw and thus the concepts that Shanahan really relies on have kind of been changing in order to hide his tackles a bit. Uh, and now it's getting back into more regular, more regular form.
4: Now, I, I trust your, your analysis of that, but I want to just take it aside as an analyst here, Oscar. And I'm, I, am I look at the time to throw stat and I see it available on next gen. And there's a people are players or quarterbacks are all over the place in terms of that to me. I, I don't like to use it because it really is a reflection of two things, is how long they're trying to use to develop the thing, maybe the escapability of the quarterback as well. And then the third is how long the quarterback is given by the defense under the circumstances. I do trust your analysis that they're trying to build it based on the amount of time that Garoppolo has to throw with a weakened offensive line. But I don't trust the number in general, I've got to tell you, as an analyst.
5: Yeah, that makes sense. And and I absolutely get that. I I do think that time to throw is a relatively sticky trait of quarterbacks. The time to throw number that I'm using is based on pro football focus charting. And they did a really good study in the offseason when they look, they have a quarterback annual and they look at the stickiness of traits year to year with quarterbacks. Effectively, the correlation coefficient from one Mm -hmm. year to the next. And what they find is that time to throw is relatively sticky or stable over years for a quarterback. It goes to their style. Their style is generally something that persists with a quarterback. You think of someone like Jameis Winston, he's going to be a really like eye popping wild throw guy, but also a boneheaded interception guy. And that's <laughs> going to be pretty sticky throughout his career. And, and you look at their safe quarterbacks like Alex Smith was a really, really safe quarterback, not going to put the, the ball in harm's way and time to throw also very similar. You've got players like Russell Wilson who are going to scramble around, have a really high time to throw. That's just his style. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a little on the faster side in terms of getting the ball out quickly, Um, similar to Tom Brady, which is someone obviously he gets compared to a lot. But his time to throw has reduced in that consistent charting, even in that middle eight weeks. And so I do think there's a little bit of noise there. You're right. Um, But even if you just look at the the depth of his drops, three step drops, five step drops, you see a lot more longer developing players, a lot more seven step drops, uh, a lot more develop like down the field developing concepts when you've got the tackles and when
4: you don't. I really appreciate the stylistic description of that as a backup. It's it's it, to me, it's the much more accurate way to look at that number. Appreciate that. You, you talked about Jimmy a little bit. Let's go a little future, a little, a little further into his usage strengths, weaknesses as a quarterback and, and why don't you expand on that? So
5: Jimmy Garoppolo and part of the reason why he was such an an amazing player for the Niners in 2017 is because he does three things incredibly well. Uh, One, he's beautiful. He's gorgeous. You you, you pay him a lot of money for that alone. Uh, (laughs) But on top of that, he is he's a really, really good quarterback when it comes to release of the football and processing speed. His release is ridiculously quick and he's able to stand in the pocket and stare at someone who's about to crush him. (laughs) and still get the ball out and get it on target and on frame relatively consistently. So his speed to process and his throwing motion really, really quick. And he is incredibly accurate in the middle of the field. This is where he does most of his damage. He's not going to be a super deep thrower. He's not going to burn you with 30, 45 yard pass plays, but he's going to eat you up between that 10 to 20 yard area. And he's very, very good when it comes to making sure he gets receivers in play action. So. He's very accurate. He's got a quick release and he processes things relatively quickly. That's why the Niners felt comfortable paying him as much money as they did uh, and why he's able to perform as well as he does uh, over the course of, or has over the course of the year for the Niners.
4: So in this year, he's had some interceptions. I think 20 touchdowns, 10 interceptions last I looked. How have these interceptions been developing? What's been the reason? This has been the new thing this year
5: for Jimmy Garoppolo. He was relatively safe in in his 2017 flurry and even in the the couple of games that he had before he tore his ACL last year. But this increase in in the turnovers has been really a a little baffling. The only thing that I can kind of point to is that he's trouble identifying underneath defenders when he tries to come off of his primary or secondary read. So and I think this is honestly a function of knowing that he's got backup tackles or had backup tackles. And so he'll go through his progression, he'll get a little bit of happy feet, and then he'll just come down to his either third read or his check down. And he just doesn't really get eyes on underneath defenders. A lot of his interceptions and a lot of his passes that should have been intercepted really fall in that bucket. In the game against Seattle, on the final drive where the Niners ended up going down and tying the game, he actually had two throws that were dropped by linebackers in a similar kind of frame where they were thrown to the underneath defender, and he just didn't he, he didn't see them. There, there, earlier in the year, he had some plays where he didn't see kind of a, a sinking corner, and that corner was able to kind of break on the ball. That hasn't seemed to have been a problem after the first couple of games. It really is with underneath defenders. And, and sometimes, you know, he gets unlucky, but uh, the, the ones that can be pinned on Garoppolo, it's really, it's really a lot of that.
4: Has he had any problems with batted balls at the line of scrimmage turning into interceptions this year, or is it mostly underneath defenders, meaning in level two at least? Yeah, it's really underneath defenders.
5: Um, He's had a couple of batted balls at the line, but nothing that's turned into a huge turnover. Honestly, the wider receivers dropping footballs and turning into turnovers has been more of a problem, Uh, but that happens more in in that intermediate depth where someone like Kendrick Bourne, who's had issues with the kind of catch concentration effectively, uh, are are going to let the ball slip through his hands. You've got the safety who's behind him. All of a sudden, it's a pick.
4: Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So you, we've also mentioned some things about the offensive line. Joe Staley, I'll just have a little aside here. We had a draft party in 2007. The Ravens were drafting 29th in that draft. Joe Staley was on the board. The 28th selection was coming up for New England, I believe. And I, I was excited as hell that, you know, we're going to get Joe Staley. And then all of a sudden, I see the trade and the 49ers have jumped in there. And I can only tell you, it really ruined the party that day. I I, I I was insufferable the remainder of that day. And the Ravens didn't get a bad ball player. They got Ben Grubbs, but they didn't solve their ongoing left tackle problem. And it took a while. They they drafted Michael Orr, who was a you know a bust. And uh, even though he stayed in the league for a long time, he was he wasn't a good left tackle. He really hurt the Ravens there. And and it ruined that day anyway. But the, people still remember me acting like a child or whatever that day when they when the uh, 49ers stole Joe Seeley from us. But anyway, still have him after all these years. Injury or no, uh, what a career he's had. Take us to the current state of the offensive line.
5: Yeah, the offensive line is in a better place than it was just a couple of weeks ago, but they're still rounding into form based off of the injuries that they've had. So you've got McGlinchey. He's finally back at right tackle. He's always been a better run blocker than he has been a pass blocker. And this year before his injury, he was really rounding in the pass blocking form. I still think not playing for, you know, three, four weeks is he's still getting back into his game shape, but hit a much better game uh, last week than he had the week before when, which was his first game back from injury. You look at the interior, of the offensive line, Lake and Tomlinson, Mike person and in the center is going to be Weston Richburg. They are a good unit. They play well together, even if one of them or really none of them are like super spectacular, all pro guard type players. Shanahan, in his scheme, really does value the tackles above all else. And it, that understand, I understand why he does that, right? You, you're generally going to be able to win with some double teams along the interior on one side or the other. And so he prioritizes tackles and center, which is why he paid Weston Richburg a ton of money to come over from New York, why he's kept Joe Staley and why he drafted a Mike McGlinchey so high. And so now you get over to the other side, and this is going to be the, the potentially problematic area for the Niners, and that's going to be the Joe Staley or Joe Staley's backup, which in this case is Justin School. Justin School is a sixth-round rookie. He has not played super-duper well. He hasn't played atrociously. He's played, you know, kind of to an average level, which as a backup tackle, for, as a sixth-round rookie, that's actually pretty good. But he can absolutely be a liability. You, you look at his game last week against the Packers, and Zedarius Smith was basically taking him out uh, and, and taking him behind a woodshed and getting around him, getting through him, and, and it was not a good game for Justin's school. Now, he may have been dealing with, with an injury, and that may have hobbled him a bit, but it's not like Zadarius Smith was the only guy to do that to him. That's happened several times. I think Jadavian Clowney did it several times against Seattle, um, and so you get Daniel Brunskill, <laughs> who comes in, who was actually backing up Mike McGlinchey at right tackle when McGlinchey was out. Now, Brunskill is a great story because Brunskill was on the practice squad of the Atlanta Falcons. He got cut there, ends up going to the AAF, plays for San Diego, is pretty good for San Diego, turns that into uh, really uh, some time with the Niners, ends up getting on the practice squad, and then gets promoted and is currently, based on pro football focus, is charting the 11th graded tackle in the NFL. Hmm. He's... I don't know that he's going to sustain that. I'm not saying that he's a top 10 tackle all of a sudden. But in spurts, he's actually played very well. And he's a better pass protector than he is a run blocker. And I'd be curious to see whether or not the team continues to play Brunskill at left tackle if Joe Staley's not there, given school's both performance and his potential injury.
4: Looks like Brunskill's played maybe about four and a half games based on a snap count here. So that's a fairly broad uh, grouping to include him with the best tackles. I I, I respect it, nonetheless. He certainly is, has played well enough during that period to be a guy you'd want to have at left tackle. Yeah, but, I uh, think
5: the way that I think the way that I talked about it on on the show last night was that he is that no one should be talking about him in any way, shape, or form replacing Joe Staley at this point or going and signing a multi million dollar deal. But he has played himself into that swing tackle role, the primary backup off the bench. And and he's in spurts shown that he can hold up at the NFL level, which is a lot more than a lot of teams can say for their backup tackles.
4: Yeah, Where does he stand in terms of number of seasons in the league?
5: So this is, I think, his uh, his second season or his first season, because he had one uh, last year. He's pretty young. I think he's like 28 um, or 26 or something like that. So uh, if this is more than his second season, I'd be surprised.
4: OK, so you don't have to worry about a long term contract anyway, because he's probably ERFA for maybe two more years. He is. Anyway. I
5: don't know if he's got one more or two, but I know that this year at the end of his at the end of this year, he will
4: be an exclusive rights free agent. And so he's not going anywhere for the 49ers. All right. That's the best time at all. That guy will, will provide lots of value at that under the cap, of course. OK, uh, terrific. Any other thoughts about the offensive line before we move on? No, you know, I do
5: think that it will be interesting to see how they perform, uh, especially in the run game, because the the person that really makes that go is going to be George Kittle. And he's not technically an offensive lineman, but when it comes to blocking, he certainly plays like one. We understand Uh, that in Baltimore. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, we'll probably get to him a little bit when we talk about. Uh, you know, kind of some some matchups and, and some other things. But I think if we're talking about offensive line, I'd be remiss to not mention that George Kittle uh, does some really, really awesome things in the run game.
4: Sure. Well, the Ravens, of course, have Nick Boyle doing some similar things and Patrick Kirkard, who is a monster in, in motion as well. So very similar concepts to what's going on here in Baltimore. I, are They use their motion player very frequently on a tight end. Baltimore does it a remarkable amount where, you know, most other teams in the NFL use their motion player to get a receiver a break off the line of scrimmage. The Ravens is almost all about fueling that run game.
5: Yeah, you know, uh, Shanahan uses motion very, very well and uses it. I'm actually surprised when there isn't motion pre-snap on a play. It's usually because they're trying to go quick snap or something like that. Um, But you're absolutely right. There's going to be two ways to get motion. One is to, um, well, really Shanahan uses it in a couple of ways. One is to identify coverages. And usually you'll see a running back motion at that point lines up out wide comes inside and uh, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, that's probably man. Um, the other way is, is to get a wide receiver, some space, get him off the line, flip your formation, flip your passing strength. But lastly, it's, it's really about angles in the run game. And this is something I think that Greg Roman understands very, very well. This is something he did when he was with the Niners a lot is running game is really all about angles. And if you can shift or get your fullback or get your tight end or get even a wide receiver is going to crack block on an angle um, that's going to help your spring your run game, you can do that. And, and Shanahan uses all of those motions effectively as well, whether it be use, check the fullback, Kittle, uh, or any of the wide receivers.
4: All right. Uh, wide receiving core. Take us, take us through who the 49ers have. Tell us a little bit about what each brings to the offense.
5: So this is going to be, I think, a, a couple of weeks ago, the area where you'd look at and you'd say, this is where the Niners are seriously deficient. And – you, I don't know that they have necessarily solved the problem entirely, but trading for Emmanuel Sanders here midseason was an absolute necessity, given the likelihood of them making a deep playoff run this year. I think Emmanuel Sanders brings the most to the wide receiving core um, for players not named George Kittle, who's, you know, a tight end. E- Emmanuel Sanders is a great route runner. I mean, he was basically putting a clinic on in that Arizona game against Patrick Peterson who's no slouch. What he's able to do in his route, he's so savvy at the top of his route and getting separation. I mean, he especially on in breaking routes, which are the routes that Jimmy Garoppolo loves to throw. He's going to just lean into the receiver at the top of the route and break uh, at the top and and create that separation, which makes him a really easy open target for quarterbacks. He's quick. He is very, very good off the line. He's exactly the type of wide receiver that Shanahan really likes. And Shanahan even said after he traded for him. That he's watched Sanders for a while, really loves his game and wanted him, you know, for six or seven years or so, and now finally has him. And so Sanders is definitely the number one. He's hobbled, though. He's got a rib injury. And that rib injury was better last week than it was the week before, but definitely something to monitor because two weeks ago he was moving slow, very, very slow. Uh, But if he's getting a little bit healthier, that's definitely good for the 49ers. Now, Debo Samuel, uh, especially the last couple of weeks, has been really the player that's emerged and come a bit more out of a shell. Debo Samuel is a a rookie wide receiver out of South Carolina, and he is basically a running back at the receiver position. He's great after the catch. He's got relatively strong hands, played a lot of slot in college, but has played really that Pierre Garcon role, that ex-receiver in in the 49ers offense, which really he's going to catch a slant or two. Um, He just will. That's his best route. Uh, Last week against the Packers, he caught uh, an in-breaking route, not quite a slant, but basically looked like a slant, and and took it 50 yards to the house. I mean, that is the route you've got to cover against Debo Samuel. I think the Niners are probably going to try to get him on the edge as well, get him in space. Um, And and so he brings that, think of more the chain-moving slant-getting wider receiver, whereas Sanders is going to be the more explosive one. After that, it's really a lot of other people that you don't have to worry too much about. Kendrick Bourne, uh, is, uh, he's a player who's going to drop a couple of passes. Uh, luckily, he didn't drop one last week, but dropped a couple of key passes against the, the Seattle Seahawks and, and maybe even cost him the game as a result of a couple of his drop passes. Um, and, and the rest of the wide receivers, I mean, you've got Dante Pettis, who's a second-round player, and, and he's really in, in Shanahan's doghouse. He's getting probably 10 or so snaps a game, if that, as a second-round pick in his second year it's not a really good it's not a good look not a really good look uh and then finally you've got marquis Goodwin. he was a healthy scratch last week he's the player who's really seen his snaps uh, evaporate with the addition of emmanuel sanders and so uh, i'd be surprised i wouldn't be surprised at all if they activated goodwin and try to get a couple of plays specifically in there for him to see if they could use his speed but it also again wouldn't surprise me if he just didn't see the field again for the
4: 49ers all right, go, let's go back to Samuel for a second because it looks to me like he's had some problems with drops. On so 52 targets, he's got six drops this year. Yeah, so he
5: lets the ball get into his body a little too much. And he luckily, the last couple of weeks, he hasn't had too many egregious drops, but he has had some issues with the drops. That's been really the—no one really stepping up and taking that receiving, kind of the premier receiving slot for the 49ers. It has been a story for the 49ers this year. George Kittle is George Kittle, but beyond him— you had Samuel, couldn't do it. Pettis couldn't do it. Kendrick Bourne couldn't do it. Um, at the very least, Samuel, though, has has produced even in spite of those drops. He had a pretty good two-game run there where he had over 100 yards uh, and a couple of touchdowns. And he now is fourth in the NFL in receiving yards for rookies. Mm-hmm. And and he leads the the league for rookies specifically in yards after the catch. He's got over 300 yards after the catch. So his his bend, his thing is really yards after the catch and getting him the ball in, in short spaces. And so he can still absolutely contribute, even though you're right. He has had some issues with drops.
4: OK, here, here's the anomaly I see in, in Debo Samuel. He's got six drops on 52 catches. That are That is half of the balls he has not caught among his targets. He's 40 of 52 on targets. So what sort of routes is he running? Is it a lot of slants? As you mentioned, in the one case that he had a, he had a slant, took it to the house. Very high percentage routes, wide receiver screens. What sort of things is he running to, to, to have that sort of relationship? Yeah, so he's going to run, especially early on in the year, he
5: did run a lot of wide receiver screens. Now, Shanahan has this pinball screen where he basically throws a lot at you, and he's going he's gonna to show you a run fake, he's going to show you a screen off to the right, and then he's going to have a wide receiver come in orbit motion uh, or in jet motion and go across the field. And against... The, the Cardinals, they, they really broke that, that screen wide open, and they've run that with Debo Samuel as well. So he is going to run and has run some wide receiver screens. He is going to run a lot of slants, but he's going to be the guy who really runs that dig route in the middle of the field and has the last couple of weeks. And so you really are looking at those intermediate routes, the routes that Jimmy Garoppolo loves to throw, a lot of in-breaking routes. He's not really going to be a run-down-the-sideline type of player. Uh, and so you're absolutely right. They are high-percentage routes. And he just lets the ball get into his body, man. And, and you know, there, there was another wide receiver for the, the the 49ers who, as a rookie, had some issues with drops. And, and he turned out okay. That wide receiver was Jerry Rice. Uh, and, and I'm certainly not saying that Debo Samuel is Jerry Rice or, or, or nearly on that level. But wide receiver, I think, is a really tough position to transition to in the NFL. And, and I think that that he's working through that. And hopefully he, he gets a right through them because I think he's a good player. All right. Very good.
4: Uh tight ends how about we talk about them next
5: let's do that because that's where the niners shine and i i feel like this is going to be like the all tight end bowl um because george kittle is a national treasure that man's amazing uh, i love him. He's, currently he's one of my favorite players on the team i mean he brings the energy he brings everything uh to the to the niners and he brings really everything to that offense he is the engine that makes the offense go and normally that's the quarterback, but Jimmy Garoppolo just does not have his security blanket when Kittle is not there. And it was apparent when Kittle finally came back after having a couple weeks off because of an injury to his ankle and his knee player who's incredibly tough. I mean, George Kittle, he literally has a, a bone chip in his ankle. The way that Shanahan described it was that basically a piece of his ankle bone chipped off and it's stable. It's not like a fracture all the way through. So he can play through the pain as long as he can handle it. And that's exactly what he's doing and he's playing on with a bone chip in his ankle and he just ran he got like a 60 yard touchdown where he was wide the heck open on a really pretty concept that, that Shanahan called, uh, in the second half. And, and he's just, he's everything that you would want out of a tight end. He is a great receiver. He's got great hands. He makes people try to tackle him and he punishes them in the process. And, and he's a fantastic blocker. I mean, he really does set the edge on those outside zones, which Shanahan loves to run, especially when he's trying to close out games late in the third and fourth quarter. So, I mean, I can't say enough good things about George Kittle because I think he is absolutely the best player on the team. And I think he's also the best tight end in the NFL. All
4: right. Bold talk. This will be an all tight end bowl coming up. Ravens are a a very split in how they use their guys. But uh, Nick Boyle, uh, probably not the receiver he is. Might be the blocker he is, and Patrick Ricard, of course, has been more of a a threat offensively these last few weeks to get on the edge and really punish some players the way I've seen Kittle uh, do to some smaller defensive backs and whatnot.
5: Yeah, you know, I, I think that that's that's the thing with Kittle is that you you take some blocking from a really good blocking tight end and you take the receiving from a really good receiving tight end, and and usually you need one or two players in order to do that. Uh, and Kittle's able to do that all in one. Um, and he's such a character. I mean, he he really does bring life and energy. And if if the Niners can get him going or if he does get going against the Ravens, I think that's where the Ravens have really got to worry.
4: All right. All right. Very good. So obviously uh, talented running back group, a uh, group that's certainly had a big year in terms of yardage. Tell us about them. Yeah, so th-
5: this is a running back group that Yeah, I mean, Shanahan's consistently always gotten a value out of running backs. And you've got Tevin Coleman, who is someone he signed from Atlanta, someone he knows very well. Uh, I think as an all-around player, Tevin Coleman's pretty good. I don't know that he's the best running back on the team. Uh, I think that award goes to Matt Breida, who's an undrafted free agent out of Georgia Southern. Matt Breida is a very electric runner. He's incredibly fast. You know, when he came out, he was the best athlete in his draft class at the running back position, if you look at uh, spark scores and overall athleticism. And he's shown that on on film. I mean, he is able to hit a hole and hit the next gear and and have lots of long runs. I mean, the the guy was leading the league in rushing last year on a team that wasn't very good, uh, but he was still able to get his yardage. He's been hobbled with an ankle injury. uh, And so whether or not he'll be back, I think Shanahan said it's about 50-50. But even without Matt Breida, who's the best pure runner on the team, Tevin Coleman still offers the team quite a bit, especially when it comes to the passing game. Shanahan does love to use his running backs in the passing game, not just as underneath dump offs, but he will absolutely send them on vertical routes to attack linebackers and intermediate defenders. They, they did that or tried to do it against the Packers. Luckily, the Packers were in a, a Tampa two defense, and so they were able to kind of get something over the top of that. But it's not uncommon for a Kyle Juszczyk to run down the field and get a 20, 30 yard pass. It's not uncommon for Tevin Coleman to run a sale concept in the red zone and, and hit that corner out from the backfield. Uh, and so, you know, if I'm if I'm looking at the Baltimore defense, I'm probably not going to try to throw to Earl Thomas. I'm probably going to stay away from Marcus Peters. You're probably going to want to attack those linebackers and, and you're going to attack those linebackers with dig routes. You're going to attack them with those in-breaking routes, but you're also going to attack them with running backs. And I think that's where you're going to see Tevin Coleman. You're going to see uh, a little bit of Kyle check uh, And then you've got the depth of running backs. You're going to see Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert, both. Also, very explosive running backs, very fast running backs, very big running backs. Mostert has a little issue with fumbling, um, and so that's something to definitely watch. Um, but Jeff Wilson, very strong runner. He actually caught the game-winning touchdown uh, a couple of weeks ago on, on a Texas route the, where the ball hits him basically on the top of the helmet. He it rumbles into the end zone. Um, it's a very talented stable of running backs, and, and Shanahan
4: knows exactly how to use them. That's, that's a definitely you hit on some things that are very big weaknesses for the Ravens or were earlier in the season, particular linebacker and Patrick Owasso has had a lot of a lot of coverage issues. In fact, all of their linebackers were downhill guys only who had no idea what was going on behind them in the passing game in particular. Any kind of crossing route, no ability to identify route concepts, a line of scrimmage to help on throws between level two and three. And also some of the same recognition problems, even with running backs. To to be able to figure out, hey, are they screening? Are they coming out? How quickly do I need to 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 cover a running back? Uh, lots of problems with that. But they've retooled that at midseason, and and the guys they have now, I think, are pretty good. L. J. Ford is really a a not a dime linebacker, but the inside linebacker who remains on the field in the dime. So not the dime back, but the other one. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and but, yeah, and Bynes is the is you know a guy who's a run defender, played obviously in the AFC in the NFC West for years. But uh, was on the street and has immediately been tipping passes and had two interceptions since he got here. So he's, he's got more ability, more savvy in terms of reading the quarterback than, than other guys they've had at the position this year. They traded Kenny Young into the NFC West, of course, as part of the Peters trade. So uh, Ravens are retooled at inside linebacker, and that's, that's something to see. The other thing the Ravens have done is when they've been blowing other teams out of the water as they have the last you know number of weeks, uh, they they go to the dime defense exclusively pretty early in the game, and they play also play a lot of quarter on passing downs. They play a lot of seven DBs. So so we, I think that we'll we'll see some matchups, but there's there'll be relatively the, the opportunities to match a running back up on on a true linebacker come only on the early downs and only when you're not not yet out of the game. Uh, yeah. And, that that's great. I think that that makes a ton
5: of sense. And and you're absolutely right about the linebackers and retooling them. And Bynes has played very very well. Um, I think this is where you get into personnel dictating the the defense's personnel on the field. This is where I think Shanahan is going to love to run out with use and Kittle, mm-hmm. and with uh, Garrett Selleck and maybe even Ross Dwelly. Because if you put two and three tight ends out there, I mean again, this might be the tight end bowl. This is going to be an all tight end offense. You've got to you've got to ask yourself, am I going to go out and nickel? Or am I going to go out with more of a base defense? And if I do go out with a base defense, that's where Shanahan loves to, loves to throw out of running formations. You know, I mentioned earlier, the long touchdown pass to Kittle that he had against the Green Bay Packers that came out of a three tight end set. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the kind of thing that Shanahan is generally pretty good at. And he's got a good pass catching fullback and use check. And of course we know uh, about Kittle. So that is, I think something that you could see is forcing more linebackers onto the field and then. Throwing right at them, um, and, and I, I don't think that Baltimore will do something very different. So it could be it could be a really interesting game. It could even be a fast game. I mean, both teams are running over 50 percent of the time, and so it, it might be a, one of those those two 45 minute two hour 45 minute games, and and we'll see who the winner is at the end. <laughs> yeah, it
4: could could be. I I I always think that whenever I see a game where I think I'm going to see a lot of running on both sides, then it's a, a game where all of a sudden Lamar Jackson could throw 38 times, and you know so could Garoppolo. Uh, we'll we'll see how this goes in in those terms. I think you're right about dictating scheme, but just to, to talk this, I need you chart all the defensive snaps. The Ravens have only played 37 snaps of base defense the entire season. Okay, so that's with three uh, defensive linemen on the field and two inside linebackers, and and that uh, is just remarkable. I'm sorry, yes, that's that's with exactly three and two and two inside linebackers, which means it's four defensive backs on the field. It's just a, a dying concept in the NFL. In fact. What the Ravens do, frankly, is only put that defense in, their base defense, when the other team puts a sixth offensive lineman on the field. So that's kind of what the thing has become. Uh, I, I'll be interested to see how this plays out, because it's uh, the... the if. If the 49ers are able to do what the Ravens are typically able to do against opponents in terms of dictating personnel groups with additional tight ends, this could be a very fun game in terms of all kinds of uh, of entertaining things. And I agree; these are very these are outstanding tight end units on both sides that that uh, will have a lot to do with the outcome of this game.
5: Yeah, it will be interesting to see. Shanahan is really good at attacking not just schemes but also individual players. So if there's someone that the the team is trying to hide he's going to find them and he's got a couple of <laughs> concepts up his sleeve that are going to go right at them. Um, and so it'll be interesting if, if he's going to attack those linebackers uh, or if he's going to try to make some money in the secondary, because that secondary for Baltimore is really
4: scary, man. All right. All right. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, where, where some of the advantages are at running back at fullback and whatnot. Now the Ravens have faced an entire string of, of 11 and even 10 personnel teams. So the Arizona Cardinals, in particular, are the ultimate 10 personnel team. So you guys face them twice a year. Uh, who's who? Where where do the uh, 49ers do most of their runnings? Is it out of a uh, 21, 12, or even 13 personnel? Yeah, they're, they're primarily a
5: 21 team. Um, they love to run out with their fullback Kyle check and, and their tight end Kittle. Uh, and then they will go to two tight ends. Garrett Selleck's coming back from injury, so he's going to get more of the snaps. But you've also got Ross Dwelly. Who's played well in spurts, but more of a receiver than he is a blocker. But that's where the the 49ers love to to live. And it's because that Shanahan understands that deception is really the thing that makes a lot of offenses go, whether it be play action or thinking that you're going to come out in a run formation and actually passing. That's the kind of of deception that Shanahan loves to employ from his offense. And and you pair that with route concepts that look incredibly similar. But at the break, after the stem, we're going to be actually something very different. And, and there's deceptions at multiple levels of Shanahan's offense. And so he very much prefers to run out uh, to run out of 21 personnel, but that doesn't mean that the formation isn't necessarily going to be that way. There are lots of times where the Niners come out in 21 and there's not a back in the backfield. You've got five wide, but you've got Hughes mm-hmm. in the slot and you've got Tevin Coleman out wide. And, and so he'll attack you that way. And you're like, okay, now I've got more linebackers on the field, but now I'm going to, I'm going to force them in space. Likewise, you've got a formation where you've got two backs in the backfield, but you still end up with a three verticals concept on the right-hand side because you're sending uh, the, the fullback out on a straight seam, and then you've got your two wide receivers out wide who are also running verticals as well. So there's lots of different ways that Shanahan's going to try to get at you, and, and he will primarily do it with a fullback and a tight end on the field.
4: All right. Out- outstanding stuff. Let's let's move on to the defense and talk about some of that because we, we we can't take all day, of course, on this. And I I want to respect your time here, uh, Oscar. Little, this uh, we could talk all day over this. This is just so fun. Most common um, look for the 49ers on defense in terms of base or pass defense. What are those? Yeah. So when you think
5: about the the kind of nickel defenses, that is the new base. The, the two linebackers is going to be what most teams are running nowadays, and so. K1 Williams is going to be the nickelback. He's going to be the person that comes in and, and that's going to be their base defense. You look at the four down, their defensive line is going to be pretty amazing. they are two linebackers uh, and then you've got your defensive backs behind them Their The defense they run schematically is really a lot of that Pete Carroll cover three. That's what they ran the first two years under Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator. And the first two years under Robert Sala were really a lot of some of those base cover three concepts that you would see often, from Pete Carroll, single high often, and and it didn't really change a whole heck of a lot. They were running cover three um, or some kind of a single high. Look, about 75 to 80% of their snaps over the course of the last couple of years. This year, things are uh, quite a bit different, and I think it has to do a lot with the addition of Joe Woods. Joe Woods is the kind of defensive passing game coordinator, if you will, and defensive backs coach. He came from Denver. What he's helped introduce to the Niners is more split safety looks and split safety looks where you still maybe rotate into a single high, but it starts out a bit with a bit more disguise pre-snap. He's also brought a bit more coverage and he's brought more match concepts underneath. And those three things that the Niners have done this year have really, I think, helped take their defense to the next level because now they do play quite a bit more man, especially when they're going to blitz. They don't blitz at a high rate over the course of the year, uh, I think up to about last the last two weeks are blitzing only about 14% of the time, but there are blitz specific game plans where Robert Sala will send, uh, blitzing players on 25, 30% of pass plays. And so it really is a little game dependent, but they don't have to blitz with the defensive line that they've got. Um, but the thing that's been most exciting to watch has been more of their match concepts underneath, which have been really good.
4: let me ask you a, a definitional question about what you're talking about when you mean a blitz, a blitz, a lot of people's definition is a five plus, uh, pass rush, but I look at it as more, since I think the numbers of deception are roughly equally important, I look at it as a blitz, as an individual blitzer, because there's four-man rushes and there's four-man rushes. So you drop two and blitz two from off the line of scrimmage from not as you lined up. That's, that can be a very effective four-man pass rush, and I, I would call it you know, a deceptive rush in, my, in, in the way I would term it. What are you talking about the Niners in terms of what they really run?
5: Uh, so when I say blitz, I mean five or more. Um, okay. if, if, if I see the Niners send four rushers, even if two of them are linebackers and two of them are defensive linemen, to me, that would be closer to what some would call a simulated pressure where mm-hmm. it's, it's a simulated blitz, but you're still only sending four. So when I'm talking about blitz percentages, it is sending a fifth rusher, uh, at the quarterback.
4: Okay. And and in terms of how they attack the quarterback on third down in particular, I mean, I always say that the NFL has changed a lot and pressure rates have increased over the last few years, last decade since I've been charting it anyway, in terms of getting the quarterback out of a position where he has a three second pocket ability to step into his throw. A lot of that ha- has been generated on third down with the ability to come at the quarterback from odd angles. And yeah defensive coordinators having to find ways, whether it's off the slot from safety, wherever it might be from, from blitzing linebacker to generate a fast pressure other than by one on one win. How do the, how do the 49ers like to do that? So the Niners
5: will come at you in a couple of ways and they generally like to run their defensive ends in that nine technique alignment, when you think of like the Jim Schwartz defenses, and you think of the Jim Washburn uh, defensive line coach defenses, the the defensive line coach for the Niners, Chris kasurik comes from that line uh, of defensive coaches. And so that that nine technique alignment outside of the tight ends are going to be where at least one of their defensive ends line up. So that's the angle what they're trying to that they use in order to try to get to the quarterback. They don't blitz uh, a whole heck of a lot, and that's because they've got players that can win one on one on the edges. You've got Nick Bosa who is having a, just a phenomenal rookie season. He is probably the leader in the clubhouse for defensive rookie of the year. And, and he is generating pressure at an extremely high rate. But you've even got the other side, Eric Armstead. He's having a career year. He actually leads the team in sacks. And he's getting pressure at a fairly good clip. He was a, a first-round overall pick. Uh, and you've got DeForest Buckner along the interior at three technique that's also able to get some interior pressure. And so they'll use that nine technique to try to get at the quarterback often. They'll also leverage a lot of stunts, had a lot of stunts against Green Bay. Um, Nothing super fancy in terms of stunts. You got your basic tackle end or end tackle. Um, Sometimes they will stunt the interior or loop around to force Buckner from that three technique all the way around to the other end and kind of slant inside. Um, So their stunt games are varied and they like to use them. Another way to try to create pressure when you're not blitzing. But if the Niners do blitz, they're usually not going to do that kind of Mike Zimmer, like mug look, where they're going to blitz the inside linebackers, they're probably going to blitz off the edge. They're going to take someone like Kwan Williams, who's their nickelback, and he's going to have a, a lot of blitzes off the edge. You're going to have Joukowsky tart blitz. Um, you're going to have usually solid likes to blitz off of one side and overload and drop the defensive mm-hmm. end on the other side. Um, and so you will see a defensive end in coverage every now and again. And, and that's going to be on those game plans where he does like to blitz a lot. If he thinks he can win with four uh, or he needs the coverage on the back end, he's not going to send too many. He's going to rely more on stunts.
4: Okay. So uh, the next question obviously is, does any of that change for Lamar Jackson, particularly the wide nine concept and the... One of the things the Ravens have faced this year is that defensive ends who are very athletic or edge rushers who are very athletic are slowed down, obviously, by the need to not have a two-way go on the outside. And and more, it's almost like you're two-gapping against that offensive tackle on either side. The Ravens have a monolith on the right side in, in uh, Orlando Brown, who has been really benefited, I believe, more than just about any tackle could be from Lamar Jackson's presence. Because he, he faces many more bull rushes than he otherwise would, where he's, that's going to be his strength. Ronnie Stanley has been one of the best pass blockers in the league this year. Not, what my, my question is, how much does it really slow down the ends in this game, or maybe even tighten up their ability to get those nine wide splits? Uh, and, and have to be more cognizant of where Jackson is. I think honestly, that's the
5: one thing that worries me the most about this game is what the option will do to the 49ers defensive line. You now all of a sudden can block Nick Bosa with air because you Mm -hmm. don't have to spend a player actually blocking him and you gain numbers on that side. And, and now you're making Bosa think you're making Armstead think you're having them, you know, squeeze down on the on the line of scrimmage and, and then react after the ball is handed off or kept. You are absolutely taking the teeth out of that defensive line. And I think that the Ravens offense is uniquely qualified to do that. And I think as a Niner fan, that's what worries me, because that's the defensive strength for the 49ers. You look at the game against the Packers and it was an onslaught from the get go because they knew finally they got a quarterback who was going to be in the pocket and be where they expected him to be. Kyler Murray had some success on the zone read runs against the 49ers defense, and they didn't play him super well. Um, as I'm sure Ravens fans know there's a couple different ways to defend the, the zone read, but you can, you know, you can exchange gaps with a safety or a linebacker. Uh, you can squeeze down and ask a defensive lineman to kind of do that two way go. Niners didn't do either of those effectively against the cards. Uh, and Kyler Murray was very, very quick and got to the edge uh, and, and made them pay. Kyler Murray is really, really fast. And Lamar Jackson is faster, and, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they choose to play it. Because while typically I am not a fan of um, of that kind of squeeze down gap on really quick and fast quarterbacks that can accelerate, I, I do think that the Niners are probably in a better position if they make Lamar Jackson hand the ball off. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I'd rather I'd rather that happen than Jackson get the edge because Jackson is an electric runner. And so I think you're probably going to see a lot of squeezing down from Bosa, a lot of squeezing down from Armstead um, and, and not too many gap exchanges. But it, it absolutely does slow down that rush. And if you get enough of those runs and all of a sudden now you get Jackson a bit more time and that's not what you want either. So, I mean, it, it, there's a reason that this offense has been putting up just video game points the last few weeks. And, and it's because they, they present some really serious problems.
4: All right. Outstanding stuff. And, and I, you know, we couldn't agree more, but we really want to talk about the 49ers and not the Ravens on this show because we're really introducing that personnel. So talk to us a little bit about the positional groups. Can we go through one at a time, level by level, and who's there and, and what their strengths are?
5: Yeah, so we talked already a bit about the defensive line. You've got Bosa, you've got DeForest Buckner, you've got Armstead. I think DJ Jones is probably the one player that most people don't know about. He's been really, really good in the run game so far the last couple of weeks. And I think he's probably going to get a lot of snaps for the 49ers against the Baltimore Ravens because that interior area is where they're going to need to to really bulk up. And so he's going to play that, that effective nose tackle position for the 49ers. I think other rotational players that are going to go through there, um, you've got Sheldon Day, who's going to play a lot of run snaps, Julian Taylor, who's also a a pretty good run defender, but Bosa Buckner, Jones and Armstead are really going to be your key guys D Ford is the biggie undetermined whether or not he's going to play. He's got a hamstring issue, but I think D Ford is the player that you do want on the edge because he is athletic enough, I think, to play that two way go um, and be able to, to catch whether it be Jackson or crash down and get to the, uh, the dive back if it is a handoff. So that's going to be your, uh, your defensive line. Your linebackers are going to be Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. Those are going to be your two primary linebackers. Fred Warner is going to play your mic and Greenlaw is going to play your will. Now Fred Warner is having a really really good year this year. The last two games have been fairly good. The last game against the Packers was probably the best game of his career as a Niner. What he has really folded into his game this year is forcing turnovers. You will see him punch at the ball consistently. He's the one who forced the fumble uh, on on Aaron Rodgers last week. He also forced a fumble on alignment actually after a recovered fumble uh, in uh, against the game in the game against Seattle. And so he is going to try to generate turnovers and really lay some pretty good tackling on in the run game. Dre Greenlaw is actually playing pretty well. He's a fifth round rookie uh, out of the SEC. And he is, of course, replacing Quan Alexander, who tore his pectoral. And I was a bit worried about him as a rookie. And, you know, he had some, some questions about his athleticism, but he's actually played very, very well. Uh, both good at carrying crossers across the middle of the field, which is good. Warner played the overhang defender in college a lot. And so he's actually been a better coverage linebacker than he is in, a run defender, really. And so both of those linebackers are going to be pretty good. If you get that third backer in, it's going to be Aziz Al-Shair, an undrafted rookie, super athletic, super fast, but very, very raw and only playing because of injury. So that's the guy that is probably the weak link when it comes to linebackers and, and someone that T have been able to exploit for some gains so far. Um, And then when you get to the secondary, you're looking at Richard Sherman, who's the old man on on that defense. But he's really having uh, a resurgence after he's fully healthy from that Achilles. He's playing good. He's not back to like peak Richard Sherman, but he's playing some good football. And and athleticism was never really his game. His game was always just being smarter than the people he's facing. And, And he's continuing to do that so far this year. And he is the vocal leader of the defense. And it, it, it didn't take long for 49ers fans to warm up to Richard Sherman uh, and forget some of his past indiscretions. So, but, <laughs> but here we are.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, just fabulous year for Richard Sherman, 31 years old now and and uh, looks like playing like he's 24 at this point.
5: Yeah, he's had a good year. And I mean, he's back to his old tricks. He, he got called for a flag last week, unfortunately, for pushing a receiver out of bounds when the quarterback had already broken the pocket completely legal. Don't know why he got called for it, but he's, he's still up to his KG vet tricks, that Richard Sherman.
4: All right. Uh, so you mentioned the linebackers a little bit and, and you, you, know, obviously San Francisco plays a base 43 defense and, and they don't always use a third defense when they, third inside linebacker when they go to that nickel. But tell me about the, the use of a dime. Do they go to that fairly often? Do they take a second inside linebacker out of the game? No, they really don't. They, they only
5: play dime. They, they play dime very, very minimally. Um, I would say I think the last time I checked actual snap counts was about two or three. They do like to basically match everything up with nickel. Now, I did see in the game against the Packers. But when the game was still actually in, in contest and before things got out of hand, the Niners actually did play a third safety in Tarveris Moore. And they didn't actually bring in another corner, which I thought was interesting because I don't see them do that a lot, play with three safeties. And mm-hmm. I, I was wondering whether or not that was getting more prepared to have maybe a bigger role against the the Baltimore Ravens because it's not a look I see them do often. You've got their other safeties who are playing very, very well, Joukowsky, Tart, and Jimmy Ward. Jimmy Ward's probably having finally a fully healthy year, um, and, and he's been playing, of the safeties, the best. And when you've got and he's an athletic player, Joukowsky Tart also athletic. But if you add Traveris Moore, who in college was ridiculously fast, played in a cover four scheme, is used to seeing some of those option concepts in college, um, that could be an interesting wrinkle where you've got uh, Akella Witherspoon on one side, Sherman on the other, and then three safeties in the middle of the field with perhaps Fred Warner making in the middle. I don't know if the Niners will do that. I think that'd be a pretty big departure, but it would be interesting to see if they went that way.
4: Well, the Ravens don't even have a slot receiver all that often. I mean, they certainly don't even play with three guys wide, which is something we chart formation-wise. But Big Nickel, as we would call it with a third safety and only two corners, is it would be a fairly reasonable option, it would seem, against a tight end that, that might be split out wide. So Moore as a speed option, a bigger guy at 6'200, might be an ideal candidate to match up against an Andrews, say, uh, or, uh, or perhaps a Hurst if he's split out from the line of scrimmage.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And and when you look at the athletic pro, the athleticism that Moore would bring, I mean, he also tried to convert to corner last year as a rookie, didn't really pan out. So they put him back at safety, which is his more natural position. So he has some experience with corner, much better safety. It would be it would add some versatility and move that Niners defense into more of a kind of a hybrid college cover four, defend against the spread type of defense, which I think you might need against someone like Jackson.
4: All right. Uh, great review of the individual players on the defense. Uh, you, you mentioned the earlier games against Arizona. Have they had any other games really against speed this year? Not really a ton. I, I think
5: that the Rams game, maybe a little bit is, is where they, they, they face some of that speed, but the, the Rams offense I think right now is, is in a bit of disarray. So I, I kind of discount that other than that. I mean, they, they handle the Browns pretty, pretty easily. And and in terms of actual raw speed, they they haven't faced a ton. The Seahawks, of course, are a very, very speedy team. And, and the Seahawks gave them fits. Absolutely. But Tyler Lockett didn't necessarily give them fits, even though Tyler Lockett's one of the faster, I think, players and one of the better slot receivers in the league. Um, so they haven't faced the type of speed that the Ravens bring. Um, but I, I don't know that, that most teams will provide that kind of speed. So in terms of handling speed, I think you're gonna see a lot of of safeties over the top. They don't like to get deep beat or beat deep. They, they, that's one of their defensive philosophies. I mean, it comes from Pete Carroll where he's like, we're gonna let you complete things underneath because we think it's gonna be difficult for you to complete 10, 12 passes on a drive. You're gonna make a mistake or we're gonna force you into one. And and so I think the Niners really do echo that philosophy. They don't like to give up the big play, and this year that's finally happening. So. I think you're going to see some, you know, that single high safety is going to stay over the top. Um, but they they haven't quite dealt with the type of speed and especially at quarterback than they will that they have against the, the Ravens.
4: OK, now looking at the matchup overall, offense and defense, maybe pick one on each side of the ball if you like. Who is a player you think matches up really well against what the Ravens do? Well, I think in terms of offense,
5: it's going to have to be George Kittle only because he is, I mean, you're probably going to put a safety over George Kittle. uh, And when you look at the the safety that is likely going to be drawing coverage uh, against Kittle, I think it's going to be a really, really good matchup. Um, If I'm not mistaken, it's probably going to be Chuck Clark. Chuck Uh, Clark, the the guy. Yeah, and and so I think that's going to, he's been playing really, really well this year. So if if George Kittle is the thing that makes the Niners offense go. And so if if he shut down and he's not going to have anything to do with the offense, and at that point things get a little dicey, You look at maybe Manuel Sanders, but uh, I'm not. Those corners are really good. So I think that on offense, it really is going to be about George Kittle and getting him going um, or at the very least getting that run game going with the 49ers offensive line. Um, I think on defense, it it really is going to be Fred Warner. Fred Warner is going to be the guy who's going to have to play really, really well in order for the, the Niners defense to have some success. I do think that I don't know that he necessarily matches up well, but it's more about the, he's going to have to play well for this mm-hmm. to work um, because I think that that option offense is going to give that defense. It's going to slow that defensive line down, but but right. I do think that defensive line is going to have a, a bit of an advantage, at, at least along the interior um, over Bozeman, not so much about Marshall Yanda because that guy's really good uh, at football. Um, mm-hmm. But if that's the guy you're going to attack, then then that might be a place where Buckner can find some success. And, and so it's I mean, look, it's going to be a tough game either way. It's going to be a fun game. Um, but if the Niners are going to pull this out, I think definitely Warner's going to have to come up. And I think George Kittle's going to have to have a, a good game.
4: Looking forward to it as much as I have any game this season, including the Patriots now, because this is just a it is a yardstick game for both teams and uh, could very well be a Super Bowl preview. Yeah, you know,
5: again, I go back to the irony of facing the Ravens again in the Super Bowl, but this time facing the offense that the Ravens faced the last time they were in the Super Bowl. And I think you're right. You know, Matt Myoko, one of the beat writers for the 49ers, he he used to have this concept of a GPS game. Um, it, it, you know, the GPS, and it tells you where you're at. And, and I think this game is going to tell both teams exactly where they are at, because it's going be, uh, it's going to be a heck of a matchup.
4: All right. So, uh, Oscar, before we get out of here, uh, let's make sure people know where they can find your work, uh, your Twitter handle, any other thing, any other things you want to plug.
5: Absolutely. You can always find me on Twitter. That's going to be at Better Rivals. Um, that's probably where I'm the most active, but we post the podcast on Niners Nation. Uh, and if you search for Niners Nation you, anywhere that you get your podcast, whether it be Spotify, iTunes or Anything along those lines, you can definitely get those there. Uh, we did do our own Baltimore preview this year. It was a bit more uh, a bit more 49ers centric, uh, but we also covered some of the interesting stuff that the Ravens do. And so that was the show that we just posted last night. Uh, and so that's that's near the the back half of the show. But talked about the fourth down decision making matrix that uh, Jim Har- that Jim Harbaugh. Geez, look, I'm already going to time machine. Uh, that John Harbaugh has because I think that could also turn the tide as well. Um, I just you know can't say enough good things about the the Harbaugh's, love them.
4: All right. I uh, want to encourage people to go to filmstudybaltimore.com, but I also would, would encourage you to go read Oscar's stuff and listen to his podcast if you can. Excellent stuff and and, and worth the time. And in particular, I didn't know about this this uh, uh, you know preview for the preview podcast, but I'm going to do go take a listen to that after we're off the air here. Uh, filmstudybaltimore.com, one thing I want to mention is if you've got a short topic, you can treat me like a radio talk show host and i'll try and arrange for that to happen for a question that's too big for the mailbag you want 10 or 15 minutes to talk it over on a short episode love to do that with you uh otherwise thanks for joining us with you and oscar can't say enough but but uh this has been a great uh, episode and we really appreciate this uh in advance of what is just one of the coolest games of the year you see every announcer is asking to be assigned to this game i don't know if you've seen that on twitter yeah, it's gonna be
5: fun, man. I really appreciate coming on and and really uh really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me.
4: All right. Take it easy, Oscar. Bye-bye.